for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Quickly, just give a couple of shout outs. Uh, We do have a new church prayer app that we are asking uh, if you are able to do so uh, to install on your smartphone. It is a place where uh, I am able to, uh, to put prayer needs for the church, and uh, it's a really easy app that you can use to uh, organize your prayer life. I found it to be helpful in my own life, and so uh, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a, uh, a slide that you can put up there, Chris, uh, that shows all the details. Maybe you can keep that up there for a couple minutes. Uh, it's a, it's, the prayer app is called Echo. If you go to that link, uh, you will find all of the information uh, that you need. Also, I want to encourage you, uh, as we are praying together, we can also be a church that reads the Word of God together. And uh, we do have a Bible reading plan that the church is part of, and, uh, and so I want to encourage you to finish the year strong. Uh, some of us have fallen off the bandwagon, fallen off, uh, and so I want to encourage you to be in prayer, uh, be in the Word uh, through the rest of the year. And uh, beginning January 1st, we're going to start a, a, a whole new Bible reading plan together, and, uh, and we're going to believe God together. Let's open up our Bibles tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you need a Bible tonight, why don't you lift up your hand, the ushers can get those for you. Anybody need a Bible? We've got one over here. Anybody else need a Bible tonight? Glory to God. First Thessalonians chapter 5. It was perhaps the most deadly human event that has happened in our lifetimes. I believe the year was 2004. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But there was a terrible tsunami in, that occurred off the shores of Indonesia and India. Uh, in the Indian Ocean. They say somewhere near 30,000 people perished in only a very short span of... Can you imagine? 30,000 people in just a few weeks drowned the enormous force and weight of the water that swept away nearly everything in its path. As As many as a third of the people who died in that tsunami were children. Many of them would not have been strong enough to resist the force of water as it came ashore. Many people were crushed by debris or when the sea hurled them against structures. People who were there that day said that the approaching tsunami sounded like freight trains or the roar of a jet. In some places, the tsunami came as a torrent of foaming water. 
But something that's interesting that some of the survivors spoke about when it happened was they described how before the tsunami ran ashore, there was a phenomenon that occurred, which is common with tsunamis. They said that the water line at the coast began to recede. They said that uh, as the tsunami, the people there, they didn't know, they didn't have advance warning. But what they did notice was that the water began to go out and out and out. It was like for the first time they had seen what the bottom of the ocean looked like. It went out 50 feet, 100 feet, 1,000 feet. The water line went out and out and out. And what that was, was as the tsunami was drawing near, the water line was going out and out. People were amazed by this. They didn't know what it was. Many of those people began wandering out just very curiously looking at the various things. There was fish flopping. There was all kinds of wildlife. They were amazed. They were, uh, they were jubilant. They, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was amazing. But it was a trick because the further that they got out, the, the more in danger they were of that tsunami that was rolling in. So there were some people, the people who survived, were people who knew what was happening. There were some people that day who described seeing the water going out and knowing that this was a coming tsunami. One British newspaper reported there was a student there on vacation in Thailand, and she remembered a class, a geography class, where she learned about tsunamis, and when she saw the water withdrawing, she began to tell everyone she could We need to get out of here quickly because there's a tsunami coming. They went to higher ground. She saved her family and all that she could find. In India, there was another man who gave a testimony to the Associated Press how his village of 1,500 people was saved because only a week before he had watched a documentary on TV on National Geographic, and he remembered the same thing. He he said that, He learned that when the ocean was receding, it was a sign of grave danger. So he went to the center of his village and sounded the alarm and led the whole village, 1,500 people, to higher ground. And so these are the stories of people who had expert knowledge. And with that knowledge, they were able to make a huge difference and save many souls alive. Now tonight... I want to remind you that there is an impending danger coming on our generation. There is a coming judgment where the Lord will once again come down this time when He comes again. He will not come as the first time, meek and mild, gentle Jesus coming as Savior. But when He comes again, He will come as the judge of all sin. And when He does come, it's going to be ugly. We are here tonight in 2018 watching the signs of the times. Are you with me tonight? We are watching things that happen around the world. They are signs of what is happening of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight I want to give you some advanced knowledge so that when you see these things happening, that you, like these people, can begin to speak about them. You can begin to tell your friends and neighbors Be careful because this is what's happening and this is where we need to go. And so tonight, this is a message I've titled Last Days, 
living. Let's read together 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading tonight from the New Living Translation, and it says, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know, you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you are not in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. So we don't belong to the darkness and the night. Be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and when drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Let's take a moment to pray tonight. Father, we come by the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your saving grace, Lord, and power tonight. I'm praying that there's, if there's anyone here tonight who's not saved and not right with God, that you would deal with their hearts powerfully. Send the Holy Spirit to convict tonight. I pray for every believer in this place, God, that our hearts and our eyes would be open, God, to the signs of the time that we would prepare our hearts tonight for your return and that we, God, would be those people who are shouting to our generation about the coming judgment. We desperately need you tonight in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. Last days living. Let's begin by looking at life without the light. This seems to be a common theme in, uh, uh, in the... The last few sermons that I've been preaching, God keeps bringing me back to the idea of light and darkness. Life in the darkness is a terrible way to live. There are some, I've seen documentaries on uh, nature channels and PBS and things like that. I've seen uh, creatures that live immersed in total darkness for their entire lives. Something interesting begins to happen to uh, especially fish that live in caves where no sunlight can reach. There are little ponds and little places inside of these caves where there is literally no light deep underground and uh, there's a flow of water, but these fish will never see any daylight. Something interesting about these fish is that over time they have evolved, they have developed a body where their eyes literally sink back into their heads. And because they are not able to see anyway, uh, they, their eyes are undeveloped, and they are even if you take them out into the light, they would not be able to see. So life in the darkness causes you to lose your vision. Are you with me tonight? This is what the Bible speaks about in our Scripture. There are people who are saying, everything is peaceful, everything is secure, everything is fine, Don't worry about all things are as they have been from the beginning. No reason to get upset. Calm down, preacher. It's all going to be fine. Peace and secure. That's what they say. That is the picture of someone who lives in the darkness. There is an old cartoon called Mr. Magoo. 
You remember him? And he has, his glasses were the size of a car windshield, you know? And uh, he would just bumble around and trying not to kill himself. He thought that he could see well. But in reality, he couldn't see anything. In other words, tonight, he was ignorant. There are many people who live in the darkness who are living in ignorance. And I want to just say tonight that if I call you ignorant, that is not meant as an insult. When the Bible speaks about ignorance, that is not an insulting term. You know why? Because ignorance can be fixed. There's a difference between ignorance and foolishness. Ignorance can be fixed. Foolish is forever. Unless God does a miracle. So you can be ignorant. It's okay to be ignorant because hopefully you can still be taught something. That's what it's like to live in the darkness. There are people who live their whole lives in spiritual darkness, not knowing what is up, what is down. God described the people of Nineveh as not being able to know their left hand from their right. That is what life is like, a life of sin, the life without the light of Christ. It is light of ignorance. Secondly, it is a life of dormancy. Look at verse 6. Hey, I don't know what's going on back here, but I'm not getting everybody's attention. So I'll wait. And I'll smile. And so the thing is tonight, what we want to, to bring in the house of God is we want to bring in attention, a focus. Okay? And when you are distracting other people, you are stealing their time and their attention. Okay? So don't be a thief tonight. Thank you. So tonight, the second thing we see about life in the darkness is that it is dormant. Look at verse 6. It says, be on your guard, not asleep like the others. A life in the darkness is a life of dormancy. Let me ask you tonight, do you sleep better when the sun is shining on your face or when your room is completely blacked out? You sleep way better when your room is blacked out. In fact, many people who work in nighttime hours and have to sleep during the day, like our brother Andre, he's got to get some good curtains that cover those windows. Right, brother? And Because if that light is creeping in, then it becomes very hard to get any rest. Tonight, there is such a thing as spiritual life in the darkness. It's a life of sleepiness. I read a story about a guy named Terry Wallace. Last time, Terry Wallace was conscious of the world around him. Ronald Reagan was the president. Bill Clinton was the governor. And the Soviet Union was still the enemy. And the World Trade Center still stood. He was in a car accident in 1984. Nineteen years later, he woke up and said three words. He said, Mom, Pepsi, milk. <laughs> I don't understand why, but in, the, in those years, 19 years, he was in a coma after being in a terrible accident. And now as a 39-year-old man, he woke up and realized that he's in a whole new world. His doctor, Dr. James Zini, said that he's beginning to realize he's in a different place now. We never thought he'd regain this kind of cognitive Level 1984, he was in a car, a car accident, ran off the road. The other friend that was in the vehicle died. Wallace was left a quadriplegic and fell into a coma. But for 18 years, the only way he could com communicate was by blinking his eyes. And then all of a sudden, he called out the word mom and later asked, 
for a Pepsi. What an amazing, amazing story. This is very much like your life before you were saved. Say amen tonight. This is very much how you and I lived before we had the light of Christ in our lives. We were in a daze. We were daydreaming. We thought that we knew reality, but the truth is we were walking in darkness. We were, we were living lives of slumber. The third thing about life in the darkness is that it's very dangerous. Look at verse 7 of our scripture. Night is the time when people sleep and when drinkers get drunk. As I've mentioned, there are things that happen at night that don't happen at other times. There, the crime, the FBI crime statistics are clear. Uh, Eighty-plus percent of all violent crimes happen at dark, at nighttime, when there is the cover of night. Let me ask you, would you rather go down a stroll on Atlantic Avenue at 3 p.m. or 3 a.m.? The answer is obvious, right? Because darkness invites danger. Darkness invites more uh, than just the, the, the normal time. And so it's true spiritually as well tonight. When you live in darkness, when you live your life with eyes closed to spiritual things, it is a dangerous place to live. That's why we call people to the light of Christ. He is the light that shines in the darkness. We're about to jump into our uh, Christmas season, and that's exactly what we celebrate, the light of Christ that shone into the darkness of the world when God was made flesh to bring light to a lost world. So let's look at life in the light. What is it like tonight? What is the light that we're speaking of this evening? Light can be a, a symbol for many different things. It can be knowledge, understanding, revelation. Sometimes maybe you've heard yourself saying, I'm seeing it differently now. I used to think of the world this way, but now I think of it in a new way. This is what it means that when you get saved, when your heart is transformed, your eyes would be open. It said that when, when Saul of Damascus was riding on his horse, and they prayed for him. He went blind. There was scales covering. And then when they prayed for him, they said something like scales came off of his eyes. And he was all of a sudden able to see the world in a new way. I want to tell you tonight, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, you should see the world in a new way. Your worldview, your paradigm should have shifted along with the rest of your life. What is the light? What is the knowledge, the understanding? What is the revelation that we are speaking about in the Scripture tonight? Well, this Scripture is speaking very specifically about the Lord's impending return. There's a sequel on the way. I want to tell you, it's going to be ten times better than the original. People are all excited about Avengers 4. See what's going to happen after the, the Avengers of, of this year, you know, everybody's on the, on the edge of their seat to find out, is it going to be better than this one? But I want to tell you, the return of Jesus is the sequel that will beat every original. Because the, the, be, the return of Christ is something that our church has been looking forward to, that the church of Jesus has been yearning for, for 2,000 years. 
I want to just ask you for a moment. When's the last time you thought about the return of Jesus? When's the last time you really turned your mind to the possibility of Jesus Christ splitting the sky and rapturing his church? Listen to the description here in the chapter before, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. Say the word caught up. We will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In the air. Imagine what that means tonight. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. For some people, that does not sound very encouraging. You know who is not encouraged by those words? People who are of the world. People who are in love with stuff. People whose hearts are attached to the things of the world. They say, no, no, Lord, you can't take me now. I've got things to do, people to see, money to make. I've got so many plans. I want to tell you, no plan that you have is more important than the plan of Jesus. And he has a plan at some point, at some day, there is a day circled on the calendar of God when Jesus will return and snatch his church away. The the word that has been used by many Bible scholars is the word rapture. The snatching away of all believers from the face of the earth before the final judgment and the restoration of the world from sin. I want to tell you that the Bible has made specific prophecies about signs and things to look for so that we can be aware, so that when the ocean starts receding, we can say, oh, wait a second, something big is about to happen. And as we examine the Scriptures, we see that many, most of the prophecies that the Bible predicts have already taken place. There are still several that have not yet taken place. But I do want to tell you that nothing stops the Lord from returning at any moment tonight. Some of the prophecies that have already been accomplished was the reestablishment of the state of Israel, the year 1948. And here we are 60 years later. 60 years later. And the, the, the time keeps ticking on. The, the, the rise of technology and warfare. The famines, the sicknesses, the diseases, earthquakes, natural disasters. Jesus looked at all these and he said, these are the signs you need to be looking at. And they not only are increasing in number, but also in intensity. Jesus described these signs of the times like the birth pains of a woman going into labor. And how do we define those birth pains? Uh, When the water breaks and the baby's about to come, do you know what begins to happen? those pains begin to increase. Right, Leanna? They begin to increase, not only in frequency, so it starts out like once every 10 minutes, once every 15 minutes, and then it begins to be less and less time, every 8 minutes, every 7 minutes, every 6 minutes, every 5. Did you ever wonder why it seems like now there's like a school shooting every other weekend? Used to be we'd get surprised if there was one in a whole year. 
Now we're not surprised anymore, are we? What is that? That is birth pains. They're both increasing in frequency and in intensity. They get stronger as time goes by. And these are not leading up to nothing, beloved. They're leading up to something. I believe that that something tonight is the impending return of Jesus. The Bible speaks about these last days where the world system will come together under one government, under one language, under one monetary system, and under one religion. But before all of that happens, Jesus will come to snatch away his bride. I can remember uh, a few times when we were, before my wife and I had children, we had uh, eight blissful years of dinkhood. You know what a dink is, right? Double income, no kids. (laughs) And for eight blissful years before our first daughter was born, uh, one of the things I can remember back in Arizona is uh, that from time to time, uh, we would we would sneak away for a lunch date together. And that was fun. You know, we'd be able to, to get together and, you know, we'd both be working, but, but, you know, hopefully we could get 30, 45 minutes where I could just snatch her away from her responsibilities and treat her to a nice lunch. I should try that again sometime. <laughs> but for me, that was a great blessing to be able to snatch her away from the difficulty of the job. She was working out in the Arizona heat to be able to snatch her away and give her uh, a nice lunch, a nice meal. Can I tell you, there is, a, there is a husband coming to snatch his bride away. The question that I have for you is, are you living the life that makes Jesus want to come sooner? Are you living the life that says, I can't wait until I can snatch her up and bring her into my presence? That's what Jesus, that's what the rapture is all about. He wants to rescue his bride from all the terrible things that are going to happen in the end times. But see, we, Jesus doesn't, I mean, think about it. If, there, if there's some, some, uh, some religious a hypocrite like a Pharisee or a Sadducee sitting on his church pew, just, you know, acting like a fool, but being religious, does Jesus want to come back for that dude? No, leave him. Let him suffer. Let him learn a few things in the end times. I want to tell you, what you and I can be doing today is living lives that make Jesus want to come and scoop us up. Don't you want to be scooped up by Jesus? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be left behind, man. What a horrible tragedy that that would be. You show up for church Sunday morning, nobody's here except you. Say, what happened? Pastor's preaching in Newport News or something. No, the rapture done happened. I want to tell you, it's not going to be pretty. Can you imagine if in one moment, every true and faithful believer would disappear from the face of the earth? All of the devastation that would happen. What about those airline pilots who were saved in a moment gone? What about all of those uh, people on the freeway in a moment gone? I want to tell you, there will be tragedy after tragedy. There will be lives lost. There will be people hurting and in pain. And that's only the beginning of sorrows. In the wake of that devastation, 
the Antichrist will begin to rise. I want to tell you, I want to start today living the life that Jesus says, I want to come back and scoop that person up. When Jesus came the first time, He came as a servant. He came in humility. Oh, but when He comes again, He comes as a conquering King. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw the heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. That's Jesus. For He judges fairly and wages righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on His head were many crowns. A name was written on Him that no one understood except Himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and His title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven. Hey, that's us. Dressed in finest of pure white linen, followed Him on white horses. You want to prepare for heaven? Better learn how to ride a horse, baby. From His mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. King of all kings, Lord of all lords. So what should that produce in you? I want to tell you, if you're not right with God, I'll tell you what it produces. A whole lot of fear. Because if you're not right with God, guess who He's coming after? He's coming after the unrighteous. But for those who are right with God, for those of us who are in the light, the Scripture tells us in verse 18, encourage each other with these words. I'm here tonight to encourage you. I'm here to tell you that true and faithful believers can take comfort in the fact that Jesus is coming to snatch us away. Verse 8 of our Scripture said, Let us who live in the light be clear-headed. The original language said the word sober. Can you say the word sober? Sober-minded. Sober-minded. I want to tell you, Christians need to be sober-minded. That's why we don't spend our time getting drunk on liquor and wine and beverages. That's why we don't spend our time toking. Come on, somebody. That's why we don't. We leave that stuff to the world because Christians, we've got something that's far better than any chemical substance. Can you say amen? We've got the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, there's no letdown. There's no morning after from the Holy Spirit high that you can get tonight. We ought to be sober-minded. Sober-minded means the ability to see the results of your decisions, words, and actions. Anybody here ever got drunk? You don't have to lift up your hand. One of the, one of the things that occurs when you get drunk is you make decisions that you regret. You say words, you go places, you do things. Later the next day or the next week, you stumble out of your stupor and say, what did I do? Maybe somebody took a picture or a video of you in your foolishness. This is why the Bible says we ought to be sober-minded. Pastor Campbell says, Campbell 3.3, don't be acting stupid. That's good, good doctrine tonight. So how should we live as we close tonight? How should we live with this knowledge that we are in the last days and that Jesus is coming at any moment? The first thing we read in verse 11 was encourage each other and build one another up. Let me ask you tonight, who have you encouraged? 
In the last week, have you encouraged any of your brothers or sisters in the Lord? Don't be a Christian bump on the log doing nothing for the Lord. Encourage somebody. If, you, if you're going to be an example, you might as well be a good one. Say, Pastor, I'm called to be a bad example for the church. Okay, well, we'll point at you. Say, don't be like him. Encourage somebody, will you? The other thing it said was encourage each other and build each other up. That's what encouragement means. It means I'm not here just to build myself up. I'm not here just to strengthen myself. I want to put the focus on other people. Wouldn't it be amazing you came to church and 30 people came to you and said, I just want to encourage you. I just want to tell you, man, you're doing great. Keep going. You can make it. You can get through this. Look, I can't do it all, right? I'm the pastor. I'm here to encourage you. But I need a little encouragement too from time to time, you know? You give and give, and give a little bit, all right? You give and take. Scratch a brother's back from time to time. Don't be coming with all your depressing stories. I know, I'll pray for you, but encourage a brother. Exhort, encourage, build each other up. This one's a little self-serving, but I'll read it anyway. Verse 12 and 13, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them respect and love because of their work. That's not just me. That's any spiritual leader in your life. Third thing is we've got to treat people right. Look at verse 14. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Say the word lazy. What do we do to those who are lazy? We warn them. What do we we warn them of? Oh, you continue in laziness. It's destructive. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, and take tender care of those who are weak. The Bible gives three descriptions of the church in that verse. Lazy, timid, and weak. How often is that true of our lives? Okay, we can be honest. Sometimes we're lazy. Sometimes we're timid. We don't don't have the courage that we need. Sometimes we're weak. And this is what the church is called to do, to warn the lazy, encourage the timid, and care tenderly for the weak. It goes on, verse 15, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. I want to close tonight by reading a couple of scriptures. What is our heart's position as we think about the return of the Lord Jesus? What should your attitude be? Should your attitude be, oh no, he's coming back soon. I got to clean myself up. I hope not. Should your attitude be, well, I guess it's just going to be however it's going to be. I'm just going to live my life. What is the attitude of the heart as we think about the return of Jesus and the rapture to come? I think it is reflected well by the psalm writer David when he says in Psalm 63, verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 42, as the deer long for the streams of water, so I thirst for you, O God. Psalm 84, verse 2, I faint with longing to enter the courts 
of the Lord. I don't know about you, beloved. I am ready to be with Jesus. I am ready to be. I'm so tired of putting my hope in some stupid politician who's just going to fail me again. I am so tired of politicians and fighting factions and the world system that, it, that says it can be our Savior, but it can't. I'm so tired of people putting their trust in money, in hedge funds, in 401ks, when we know that that can't save us. But there is a God who is coming again for us. I long for that day. Jesus said, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say all of you who are well-filled, who have been quenched of your thirst. All of you who you've got enough to take care of yourselves. No. He said, when you're thirsty, then those who will, will be able to come to me. How about you tonight? What's the condition of your soul? There ought to be in you a thirst, a hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Tonight, I close with this, this uh, old poem of the church. It goes like this. Come, Lord, and tarry not. Bring the long-looked-for day. Oh, why these years of waiting here? these ages of delay. Come, for thy saints still wait, daily ascends their sigh. The spirit and the bride say, come, dost thou not hear the cry? Come, for creation groans, impatient of thy stay, worn out with all these long years of ill, these ages of delay. Come and make all things new, build up this ruined earth, restore our faded paradise, creation's second birth. Come and begin thy reign of everlasting peace. Come take thy kingdom to thyself, great king of righteousness. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.